1: welcome to administrative static this is John Vecchioni with me as always is Mark Chenoweth and uh, this week uh, NCLA filed a uh, amicus brief in a case called Loper bright um, before the Supreme Court and uh, this case is very interesting it's it's closely uh, analogous to our case the relentless clay case it's up in the first circuit that I've talked out before
0: that you argued in the first and
1: i argued in first circuit and this is a case and loper bright um is very similar uh, and in that it was filed in the dc circuit and initially at lower at at, in the lower court proceedings the government tried to get the first circuit case moved to the dc circuit and combined with loper bright we pointed out the differences which i'm not going to discuss deeply here but we said, wait a second, we're in, we're in Rhode Island, we're allowed to sue here and the, the courts agreed with us and we were not moved into this court, but we haven't followed. I think
0: John said, are you gonna let those so-and-sos down in DC decide <laughs> yeah, what happens exactly. to
1: the fishermen? Yeah, exactly, Charlie don't <laughs> surf and DC don't uh, don't fish. So uh, <laughs> what they do in New England. So um, I think that, uh, so in any event, so we avoided being uh, consolidated with this case but we have been following it for similar reasons, which is this issue of Chevron deference. And uh, this, uh, it, in this case, in Loper Bright, um, I'll just do a comparison. In our case, the lower court used Chevron to say it was okay for the agency to fund itself by making up a new uh, position called ATSI monitors, ASMs. And because Congress didn't explicitly say they couldn't, they use Chevron deference to say, yeah, well, they've they've been given power, and they say this is a reasonable interpretation of this statute. So now they get to fund an office that Congress has not wanted to fund, and they get to fund themselves through through um, making the regulated party enter into a contract with these at-sea monitors. So it's a Rube Goldberg system set up, and they say it. I mean, they're very honest about it. They say Congress won't fund us. and won't give us appropriations, so we're doing this. So they – so uh, this is in the herring fishery in New England and mid-Atlantic, and Loper Bright is a number of uh, herring fishermen as well, and they sued – Are there any red herrings in this case? <laughs> <know>. Very rarely. <laughs> oh, okay. <Just> <laughs> so, the, so the D.C. Um, lower court – now the D.C. lower court – so here's – this just shows you how statutory interpretation goes. the the court in rhode island and relentless said i don't know but they're chevron and they get to do this under chevron and then we appealed that to the first circuit in dc the court below said nah it's clear they get to go do this i don't know how you came to that conclusion but the appellate court in dc said well no it's not clear the district court's wrong about that (laughs) but uh there's nothing in here that says they can do it so it's not it's not clear but there's nothing that says they can't chevron they get to do it right and there was a blistering dissent in that case in the dc circuit in loper bright it was an absolutely blistering dissent saying wait a minute they didn't say anything about this this is an outrage that you can you can do this so so, remember
0: who wrote the dissent it's just escaped me it's just gone out of
1: my head okay um
0: but there are very few candidates (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) that's right um so in any event uh so so um so that's the that's the game. That, that's where everything rests in the in the circuit courts. When um, the folks at Cause of Action who had brought this case um, petitioned for certiorari to the Supreme Court and they got Paul Clement to chime in. And he's a well-known practitioner before the D.C. Circuit. And um, they put together a petition showing basically saying Chevron's got to be overturned and this is a great case to overturn it. And uh, we agree. We agree wholeheartedly with that. But the, the point of amicus briefs is to say something slightly different, to provide the court a, a little a different look. And so they've got a number of other amicus uh, support going on, explaining about Chevron, explaining about funding. Um, and, and, um, but our, our take was that there is a real circuit split, and there's a real – and this is one of the things Supreme Court looks at to uh, determine whether or not to take a case. And the petition didn't say there was a circuit split, but but I think there is. And, and here's how the circuit splits go. The Fifth Circuit, um, in my view, uh, says, yes, indeed. Uh, Chevron is rare. We don't use it. And um, uh, my colleague points out it's Judge Walker who was in dissent in, in Loper Bright. Um and, and he, and he did, he agreed, he took what I would say the Fifth Circuit's view would be of this would be. And then the Fifth Circuit has a case, Gulf uh, of Mexico, where it, where it said that the uh, agencies, Commerce and all the agencies under it, National Marine Fisheries, uh, NOAA, that they could not regulate aquaculture because the Magson Stevens Act doesn't say anything about it. It's silent. just That's, that's, that's fish farming. Right. That's exactly right. And, and so- um the the agency had said well harvesting it does say harvesting and so maybe that's agriculture and said, no 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 no, we're, we're not going to chevron this into anything you want so uh he put- oh i
0: like that use of the of the verb chevron, <laughs> chevron.
1: it sort of sounds like shoehorn exactly a, exactly we're going
0: to chevron this into
1: exactly so the so fifth circuit wouldn't do this and walker cited that case in his dissent and and the the majority never mentioned it didn't say a thing and and it, the majority is a uh, is is judge Srinivasan so he knows about it so he didn't decide to answer that for some reason and he's really teed up the chevron uh case he, the chevron issue for the for the supreme court i mean i i've said i think i've said this before mark i think he's poking them i i think he's just challenging them
0: yeah, you have said that before and you could well be right cuz he's very <laughs> Persistent and consistent about uh, it.
1: All right. And so um, anyway, so it's teed up very well. And our issues, we think the Fifth Circuit would have come out different, differently because they interpret the Magnuson-Stevenson Act with uh, using Chevron as tightly as the Supreme Court has said that you should use it. But um, in, in the First and, um, and the D.C. circuits where these cases are, they are very pro-Chevron places. And you can see, and there's, and there's been um, articles on this, scholarly articles, that the first in the DC circuit use Chevron all the time to approve agency action. Um, and, the, and the splits on when they don't use Chevron and when they do use Chevron and when the agency wins are, are incredible. Um, you, you've got a 25% better chance when they use Chevron, which is a lot. And I also throw in the ninth um because they have a number of cases but the the um because the ninth is so split and there's various problems uh with analyzing it it's not as clean but they use it for the same reason and that's where all the fisheries are it's that in the gulf right so the fifth and the 11th um and 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 uh, and for some reason the fifth seems to do a little bit more of this as far as my observation so you've got the entire eastern seaboard very very pro chevron And so whenever the fishermen come in contact with the agencies, they lose. That's 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 kind of where it is. They have a very high chance of losing. Not always, you know, the law being what it is. But um, so we pointed out, look. The Supreme Court has got to take this case to tell the D.C. Circuit and the First Circuit, hey, we meant it. We'd like to get rid of Chevron. That's the goal. We think that's what they should do. But if they don't do that, they have at least got to control the circuits below them because it, it looks nothing like what they say Chevron should look like. Any practitioner in the First and D.C. Circuit is on a different planet from where the Supreme Court is as far as Chevron use. Um, and the second uh, issue that we have is um, is this idea of um, funding yourself, Right. How can these agencies – there's a number of statutes that prevent the agencies from charging fees that don't go into the treasury.
0: You don't trust agencies to just decide how much they should spend right. on their own That's without exactly. Congress being involved?
1: Exactly. Congress not involved at all. and not So not only do they not – this isn't a case where Congress said, you know, um, I, the one I use all the time is when you want a drug approved by the FDA, you have to pay an enormous fee that they then use to – uh, study your testing and study everything that you've done with the drug. But Congress said that it's in the statute. I can go look it up. It says, here it is. Uh, FDA, you shall make a, a schedule of fees and they make a schedule of fees and they tell you why they're doing the fees and it's in a statute and they do it pursuant to statute. And you may not like paying it, but you know, it, Congress said it, Congress wrote it and said, you get to do this. Um, this is nothing like that. This means if, if this stands it gives incentives to every agency in the country to come up with Rube Goldberg schemes like this to, to uh, have the regulated parties um, pay for whatever they want that Congress doesn't want, and that just upends the whole constitutional system. It, it is just a Pandora's box of bad news. So then finally, we said that you know we, we're a uh, nonprofit law firm, and the Loper Bright people are Represented by or have been the whole time um, by a nonprofit law firm and it's not an accident these herring fishing is not uh, it's, it's not the way to make millions and millions of dollars to pay lawyers. It's just not and so um, they take a lot of cases from uh, the securities people and, and, and people in um, extractive uh, industries defense, you know, the, the ones who have high margins. But it's very rare that we get up here and we pointed out that the magnuson Stevenson Act hasn't been um, looked at by the court in almost 40 years. The two generations of lawyers have come up and gone away, and the, and the Supreme Court has not looked at the statute. And we we point out that no member of the court is, is on the court from when they last looked at the statute. And Chevron, in the court's mind, has changed a lot in 40 years. And so it is time for them Chevron was. Brand new. I mean,
0: Chevron was eighty four and the last time I looked at the MSA was eighty six.
1: Right, that's exactly right. And so uh, there's really good reasons for them to take it, not only because of Chevron, but because the Magnuson Stevens Act is an important. It's important to our clients how that is is interpreted, and um, they also do their duty to um, to make sure the circuits are following the precedent. There's lots of good reasons here. We hope they take it.
0: Welcome back to Administrative Static. Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchioni with you, and uh, I've got another uh, Supreme Court case to talk about. And, and John, this is one that NCLA is not involved with yet, but we might well get involved in it. And I think you'll you'll understand why uh, when I when I talk about this case. It, it, it's reminiscent of at least two other cases uh, that NCLA uh, is working on, and. Uh, and, and so let me jump in here. The case name is Pulcelli. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Polselli v. IRS. And the, the number of the case, for those who might want to delve into this more, is 21-1599. The, the issue in this case has to do with summonses uh, that are issued by the IRS for people's bank records. And the Sixth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals accepted the IRS's argument that a person whose bank records the IRS summonses is not entitled to notice or an opportunity to challenge the summons whenever the IRS says it is trying to collect somebody else's delinquent tax liabilities. And now that's quite an overreach compared to what the tax code uh, says, and it really tramples, I think, basic uh, Fourth Amendment rights and there would be significant negative consequences that would follow uh, from endorsing the IRS's uh, position uh, in, in this case. So the dispute concerns, uh, the summonses uh, for petitioners' uh, bank records, and I should say that the Supreme Court has already granted a cert uh, in this case. So we'll be hearing oral argument in this case uh, next year, uh, in the next few months here. And the petitioners are Abraham and Rose, PLC, and Jerry R. Abraham, PC, uh, two law firms that represented delinquent taxpayer Remo Pulcelli and Hannah Carcho Pulcelli, Remo's wife. And after assessing tax liabilities against Remo, the IRS served summonses on three banks uh, seeking uh, petitioners' records. And they wanted all the copies of the bank statements associated with petitioners' accounts. That the IRS sought the law firm's bank records also, uh, not just the the Polselli's bank records, but the law firm's bank records, hoping to learn how Polselli had paid them. It sought Mrs. Polselli's bank records on the theory that uh, her husband might keep his assets in her account, might have access to his records and so forth. And the IRS gave petitioners no notice of the summonses, which they are required to do. Uh, under the statute. But the banks did give the petitioners notice of the summonses. So the petitioners were able to move uh, to quash the summonses and uh, argued that they were overbroad, that they sought irrelevant information, and of course that the IRS had failed to provide the statutory notice uh, that was required. And the district court dismissed for lack of subject matter jurisdiction. And John, I have not gone back to look at the district court opinion here, but I'm going to guess, based on our conversation before, that we know exactly on what basis Subject matter jurisdiction uh, was denied here, and it's going to have something to do with the Tax Injunction Act.
1: (laughs) Yep, Anti-Injunction Act, no question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and so this went up to the Sixth Circuit, and and just for those who might not have heard uh, our rant on this uh, before, in connection uh, with uh, uh, with one of uh, NCLA's cases that we won at the First Circuit uh, earlier this year, uh, this uh, Anti-Injunction Act prevents essentially prevents you from enjoining anything that the IRS is trying to do in the collection of taxes. So you you have to pay the taxes first, and then you can argue later is the idea. And the IRS tries to read this very, very broadly. And so here, essentially, the IRS is saying, you can't even move to quash the summons that we have sent you. Because if you do that, that would be slowing down our ability to collect taxes, even though the summons doesn't apply to the account of the person whose taxes we are trying to collect. Right, right. It's someone else's account. right?
1: So it's, a, it's some other entity. And the injunction act was clearly to stop. Uh, is has a tax liability. The IRS is trying to collect it. They don't want me. Don't admit that on air, John. No, just, <laughs> they don't <laughs> want Vecchioni uh, mucking up the works with an injunction, right? But if they go around It's that every, everyone within two feet of Well, Now we need to
0: see NCLA's bank accounts too, because, you know, they, they probably pay Vecchione something and, you know, we need to see those as well. And you can, you can quickly see how it could uh, get out of hand. And in fact, it looks like it did uh, get out of hand here. Nonetheless, the sixth circuit affirmed this. Uh, Karen Nelson Moore was the, was the judge in the majority. Uh, Judge Donald joined her in the majority. Uh, but there, were, however, there was a nice dissent from Judge Kethledge arguing that the majority's interpretation uh, and the statutory provision here is is section 7609C2DI, which is, uh, you know, as these things... Well, everyone loves the tax code. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, he said it renders it uh, superfluous and vitiates completely the statute's pro-notice rule. Well, th- the good news for uh, uh, Polselli and for the... Uh, for the law firm petitioners here, is that there is a circuit split uh, on, this, on this question. And of all places, John, would you believe it's the Ninth Circuit that went the other way on this issue and is more respectful of people's privacy rights? <laughs> well, I think that
1: the Sixth is going to be very embarrassed because when they take, when the Supreme Court takes the, your ruling and they don't take the Ninth Circuit's ruling, that means uh, the person likely to get overruled is not going to be the Ninth Circuit.
0: Yeah. Although the Sixth Circuit, I think in recent years, has been a rival of the Ninth in terms of getting overturned most frequently. So, uh, you know, that they, they may, uh, notch another one in their belt uh, here, thanks to, uh, to Judge Moore's uh, decision uh, below. The, the other reason that I think that, I mean, just to your point, John, that any time the court takes a case, they're more likely to overturn than, than uphold. So, you know, if a betting man would say they're, they're not going to see things the same way that the Sixth Circuit did here. But the other thing that, uh, that jumps out at me uh, and I'm blanking on the name right now, but it was CRS services or something like that from-, yep. from You've from, got it right. Okay. From a couple of years ago. CRC. CRC. Okay. Services. The, the Supreme Court uh, had already uh, clipped the wings of the IRS a little bit to say, eh, you know, you guys, you can't just say that everything's about the collection of taxes. That's not the way this works. Congress has very uh, clearly laid out uh, the, in the statute, the scope of what it is and isn't allowing here. And to me, uh, and and that's the you know, using that case is how uh, NCLA uh, uh, you know won our, uh, our our first circuit case Harper v. IRS uh, earlier this year is uh, the uh, you may remember this is the case where the uh, the government had come after the the bank records relating to uh, to our client's cryptocurrency uh, and uh, and hadn't given him notice and the opportunity to quash the summons and all those those sorts of things and the uh, uh, the district court had denied subject matter jurisdiction in that case and the first circuit reversed and so we're back in the in the district court there on the merits now uh, and I'll be shocked actually if this doesn't wind up the same way I think the supreme court's going to take one look at this they're going to say what do you mean there's no subject matter jurisdiction here no that can't be right surely these law firms get to go to court they get to they get to dispute the irs summons they get an opportunity to quash the summons they get an opportunity to say whether what the IRS is going after is uh, is duplicative or irrelevant or what have you.
1: And and the other thing is, what's the law firm supposed to do? Pay the guy's taxes? You know what I mean? You're supposed yeah. to be able to pay the tax and then challenge it if it's yours, if it's your liability. Right. But once they go after third parties, they're they're supposed to pay someone else's tax to protect their own Fourth Amendment rights. That makes no sense at all.
0: That's a great point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Maybe we'll make that point in our Amicus brief. Uh, and uh, uh, and maybe Scott Narf's already made that made that point uh, in the repetition. petition i'm i'm still coming up to speed on this uh, on this case and as we as we learn you know more of the uh, particularities uh, assuming we jump into this we'll we'll have a better command of it but i thought this was an important one uh, to bring to folks attention the, the other case of ours that this reminds me of john is is our uh, law offices of crystal moroni case where yeah. you know you had the cfpb coming after her not because they had any particular a violation that they wanted to go after her on but they suspected that some of her uh, some of her debt collector clients she's a law firm and some mm-hmm. of her clients are debt collectors and they suspected that some of her debt collector clients may not have crossed all their T's and dotted all their I's. and they wanted all of her records in order to to sort of take the easy way and figure out you know whether they had something there and I mean put her to so much cost and expense and trouble uh, that it Put her out of business. Right. And, you know, she, we're still representing her in this case in the Second Circuit, but she's out of business. No,
1: no finding of anything wrong. Just harassment,
0: harassment, harassment. And that is exactly what would happen if the IRS had this ability uh, to go after people. It could start just insisting on getting these records from folks. Now, here, uh, the the law firm wasn't the one with the records, it was the bank. So it's not identical in the sense that, you know, it's not going to put the law firm to any trouble necessarily. But it's certainly going to violate a lot of their uh, Fourth Amendment privacy rights and to not to, to suggest that they don't even have the ability to oppose that, that you don't even have to get a judge's sign off. That's where my problem is. And that's where NCLA's problem is. Look, part of what the Fourth Amendment protects is in, in protecting and in saying that a search has to be reasonable. You ha- it's not just that you have to have probable cause. You have to have somebody other than the executive branch agency sign off on this, right? So the IRS doesn't just get to decide when it's in the right. It has to go to court and get a judge to sign off on the fact that the IRS can go after something. And here, by saying that there's no subject matter jurisdiction, you're essentially cutting Article Three judges out of the process. That can't be right. And that can't be what Congress intended. What Congress wanted was, yes, the IRS, if it can, if it can make the case, it can summons these records. And then the third party record keeper, like the bank or the law firm or what have you, has to give notice uh, to the person who's named in the summons. There has to be an opportunity for the for the people who are being summoned to oppose uh, the IRS. That's the only way that Fourth Amendment rights are going to be uh, protected here. And kudos for the night to the Ninth Circuit for recognizing it, and uh, and demerits to uh, to judges uh, Karen Nelson Moore and Bernice Donald on the Sixth Circuit you know, for not recognizing it. It's
1: that. hitting me. What if the IRS has the wrong name? You know, they just made a bureaucratic mistake. And your name's John Smith and they're after a John Smith and you're after the bank records and you have nothing and you just want to move to quash because you're the wrong guy. They'd say, no, that can't be right.
0: That can't be right. That can't be right. Uh, there's, there's lots of reasons here why, uh, why the IRS is, uh, uh, is overreaching here. And I, the the good news is the Supreme court did grant cert uh, in this case, I suspect strongly that, uh, with, uh, with, with Skadnarps and Shia Deveretsky, Uh, on the case that that they're going to decide that the IRS is is in the wrong here. And uh, we'll keep you posted on this, particularly if NCLA decides to come to her with Amicus brief making some of the points that John and I may